time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. And then verse 20, The man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, See, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he may reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent them forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. So we carry on the account in Genesis chapter 4. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore her brother, his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, bought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. We move on now to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. When people began to multiply on the face of the ground, 
and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that they were fair, and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh. Their days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them. They were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I've created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I have made them. And then finally in chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals have built, and the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have, all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray together? Lord God, we give thanks for your word this morning. We pray that it would dwell richly in our hearts, that we would be transformed by knowing your love for us. For we ask in your mighty name. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. We are in, as Simon said, the second of our acts. The second one being that of the fall, uh, an intriguing one I'm sure not many people really enjoy talking about sin and fallenness. It's actually one of my pet topics to talk about. I really like it because actually I think it genuinely helps us understand the human condition. And also, you know, last week we had creation. Two pages into the Bible we suddenly hit these moments from Genesis 3 through to Genesis 11. And this will actually set 
the, the picture for everything that we see um, later on in Scripture, into the New Testament, into our own lives. And actually, I think that it actually frames things in a way that we can um, understand. The four readings that I chose, and in some ways I apologize for four readings, but in some ways I don't, because actually I wanted Scripture to speak for itself this evening. And I wanted to show that actually when the Bible talks about fallenness, it talks about it in a breadth, and it talks about it across a number of chapters, and I didn't want to just reference it. I wanted Scripture to talk for itself. But when we think about sin, maybe we, you know, we're asked about it by people outside the church. It's often seen as an old-fashioned idea. You know, I'm all right. There's nothing wrong with me particularly much. I haven't done anything to hurt anyone. Uh, A Christian writer was writing a book, um, and he struggled with this word sin, and he felt that it didn't um, connect with his audience. He knew that if he just put it in, people would turn off. So he came up with an acronym, and the acronym had a swear word in it. Uh, And that really got people um, listening. But through the entire book, he replaced the word sin with this acronym, T-H-P-T-F-T-U. Very, very catchy. Um, I I won't say the swear word, but you can guess it. The human propensity to F things up. And those people who might have said, oh, sin, you know, this out of, you know, old-fashioned idea, they were actually like, actually, I can get on board with this idea, this I do what I shouldn't do and I don't do what I should do. Actually, I connect with that. And people found that they were able to connect um, with this idea. And actually, this whole idea of fallenness and sin isn't as old-fashioned as it's made out to be. Even if we're going to have to draw out some themes from these um, stories which seem so far removed from our current day. So let's jump into them. I'm going to briefly go through them and then we're going to connect them together. Genesis 3 to begin with. We start right at the beginning of our fallen nature. Adam and Eve with the deception. The the serpent comes as opposition to God in Eve's mind. The, The name Satan is that of the adversary, that of the opposition. So it's apt at this point that we have the serpent coming in as opposition to God. And Eve chooses to self-determine, to choose her own destiny over trusting in the goodness of God. So right here in Genesis 3, we have our first two aspects of our fallen nature. Firstly, that being tricked by spiritual forces um, and going against God. And secondly, to choose ourselves as the authority rather than allowing God to be that great authority over ourselves. And so from that moment, we have self-determination. And we see the consequences of their actions. What do they start do? They start doing, they start blaming each other. Whose fault was it? Who made me do it? And our fallen nature is characterized by that inability to, to hold responsibility for our own actions, for what we do. And what does it do? It drives a wedge 
between Adam and Eve. Sin breaks that bond of unity between man and wife. That unity and that togetherness is frayed. It's not broken, but that harmony and unity which was there is no longer a given. So these are the key aspects of that Genesis 3, that sin breaks up that key relationship in our life. Now, turning to our Genesis 4 passage, that of Cain and Abel. Brothers who have different outlooks, they have different focuses, different work. They've brought to God two different offerings. One seems acceptable, the other less so. And so there's probably an issue before this point, but we see this divide between two brothers. And God lays this challenge on Cain, and he says, sin is lurking at the door, and its desire is for you, and you must master it. But instead, Cain kills his brother out of jealousy. And so we see some more aspects of our fallen state. Fourthly, that of our separation between brothers, that closest family partnership. Separation, again, from God. You get um, one acceptable sacrifice and one that's not. There was that sense that sin had already entered into that relationship. It wasn't at the point when Cain killed Abel. It was far before that. It was the dissatisfaction of the sacrifice. And so, finally in this section, separation between us and the land that we till. We get that sense both at the casting out of the garden and then here that there is the loss of this harmony. And you get this through these passages that all unity and harmony is being broken and you see it between humanity and the land that they are tilling. We're very briefly going through this. We're going breakneck speed. Uh, Genesis 6, our passage, probably the most curious, one of the most curious passages of the whole Bible, that of the Nephilim. The Nephilim only appear twice in the entire Bible. How can you sort of summarize them? Negative spiritual forces, um, uh, bad angels, however you want to see it. But this idea of the heavenly beings coming and interacting and trying to be negative spiritual forces here on the earth. But what we can infer from this is that this is part of our fallen nature, the the connection between us and God, the spiritual realm and the earthly realm is being confused. It's being put upside down. It's no longer a given that there will be harmony and unity between the two. I've known um, a number of people in the occult and... um, uh, a guy who I, I'd never met, he was introduced to me, you know, hi, this is Steve, you know, good to meet you. Um, and he, he put out his hand and he, he shook my hand. Uh, and within a couple of minutes, he was on the floor. I was like, what? And he, but he literally looked up at me, white as a ghost, and he said, what spiritual power do you have? 
And I never, I didn't even know, but he, he turned out to be a, a form of shaman. And it turned out I'd completely drained him of the occult power that he had. And I kind of had to apologize. I said, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I imagine it's the, you know, the blood of Jesus. Um, he was like, stay away from me. Uh, but he got one of his friends and they powered him up. It was like some weird rechargeable battery. Um, but he didn't trust me from that point on. And it was at that point, I had only been a Christian a few years by this point, but I got this idea of the, there is a connection between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Uh, and you can have a good relationship with it or you can have a bad relationship with it. And at that weird moment, the two sort of um, buffed up against each other through a mere handshake, and I have no idea, but the one thing that we know and the goodness of God is that the goodness of God is bigger than that of the evil one. So I've never really been able to square that moment in my head. All I've known is that the goodness of God was in that moment. And it reminded me when thinking about this passage that it's, it's curious and it's strange and it's hard to understand but we trust in the goodness of God and we lean into that goodness of God because the opposite is true. The opposite is still out there. And so our relationship between the spiritual realm through the fall um, is broken and there are negative and there are positive spiritual forces at work in this world. Finally, our passage from Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, um, thought to represent a, a particular pyramid um, called Etmananki in Babylon, thought to be 91 meters tall, designed to be the closer we are up to the heavens, the easier it is to hear, to talk to God. The closer we are, the more he pays attention to us. This whole idea that I can bend God's ear to what I want. I can outsmart God. I can make him listen to what I want. And this idea of human logic, trying to out smart the, desire, the divine is a key aspect to this final passage. So God divides up nations in Genesis 11, creating those divisions so that they won't try and think that outsmarting God is a clever idea. But I think today you will meet people who've said, I've outsmarted God. I, I've out-reasoned the whole idea of God. And I don't think that idea has ever gone away, even with however many hundreds of languages there are in the world. But this moment, this um, moment of the Tower of Babel represents that idea that as humans, in our fullness, we always long to outsmart God. We always long to do things our way rather than trusting in the divine. So in our four passages that we have gone through, we see in fallenness division. We see a loss of harmony. We see a loss of unity, both on personal levels and 
whole world levels. Firstly, between God and humanity. We see that break. We see the break in unity between husband and wife, between Adam and Eve, between brothers of Cain and Abel. We see breaks of unity between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. And then we see uh, breaks between nations um, with the outsmarting, trying to be cleverer than God. And so actually, when we think of this idea of sin, does it seem so distant from our own experience? Does it seem distant from what we see in the world today? This sin, it corrupts every aspect of life. And actually, it, you see it in, in so many characters that you meet in Scripture. It's not... Uh, something that only affects a small number of people. Actually, you see it in every single person, even in some of those great characters of the Old Testament, even ones that were described as going after God's own heart. You can see their fallenness. And that is except for one. That is except for the person of Jesus. That one sinless person. And so when we see our sin and that gap between us and the Holy One, that should compel us to want to lean into God more, to seek his forgiveness, for the forgiveness that um, Jesus offers to each one of us. And how should sin make us feel? what we should always be cautious against is the idea that it disheartens us, that it just makes us go away sad or just want to sort of distance ourselves from God. That is the opposite of what we're called to do. Our sin and our fall and our brokenness should make us want to cling on to Jesus all the more, should want us to be compelled by the person of Jesus even more. It should remind us of our need for him. It should make us want to come back to him and be compelled by him as the source of all life. So sin, our sin, it should make us sad. It should make us long and and but it should never make us apathetic. It should never make us indifferent. It should spur us on. It should make us long for God more. And We should always remember that Jesus' actions for us on the cross overcome it all. So we're going to actually have a little prayer activity now. Um, Brian's going to put a slide up for us and we're going to have uh, a few minutes um, is James around? there you are would you be able to play quietly for a few minutes Um, I've just put up a a few bullet points um, and it's about acknowledging our own sin and acknowledging our own fallenness and making us long to lean into God more 
not to be driven away from him, but to actually engage with it and actually say, yes, God, I need you more in my life. I want you in this aspect in my life. Maybe there's an aspect actually that we've been worried about letting him into. And actually tonight we're going to say, I don't know how, but I'm going to let you into this aspect of my life. So think of an area of your life that you don't let God into because of sin and ask that he would shine his light into that area of your life. Um, The third one, sin leads to death, but God leads to life. And then finally, thank God that he hears you and wants to transform you. So I'm just going to give a few minutes over for you now to, to meditate on that. Lord God, we give thanks that you long for us to come to you, to draw close to you, to lean into you, to acknowledge all of our weaknesses, and to lean into your strength, into your love, and into your mercy. Would you help us in aspects that it's hard to give over to you? Would you bless us always with your presence, we pray. Amen.